creating cyberspace and welcome to episode 174 of the double density podcast with your host brian and angelo double density is your home to tech tales and paranormal primers now first things first angelo i am so excited for once because i'm just going to shut up right now and i'm going to throw it to you because for once in my life i have the ability to just go ahead and do that well, you've made me nervous because now you're making me read the introduction to our guest, who uh, this came together extremely quickly because I was listening to his podcast, Missed Apex, last week. And uh, the host, Spanners Ready, made, uh, I don't want to say a plea, he just requested, said, and any podcasters out there who would like to have me on their show, I'd be happy to come. And I sent them a message. I don't know if I was the first, but I sent them a quick message and he replied very quickly. And uh, so today our guest is uh, Richard Spanners Ready. He's a radio presenter at BBC Radio Cambridgeshire and also the host, as the aforementioned uh, Missed Apex podcast, the podcast about F1, which I've been enjoying for the last few years. Um, as the show's website says, Missed Apex is a Formula One podcast and live stream that values enjoyment, community, and formative discussion by subject matter experts. The show has an energetic and professional tone, but you can come see from the live stream that the panel are rarely without a smile for too long. The ethos behind the show is that if you enjoy what you do, then the audience may enjoy it too. So welcome, Spanners Ready. I'm glad you read the updated corporate speak version of our website. I used to say spanners and trumpets lead a, cr a crew of varying competence through the joys of F1. But then as we started to grow, started to try and seek out industry recognition, we got like our team on it. And one of our guys is a professional PR guy as well. So he put together some words. He's like, no, that can't be how you present yourself to the world. We've got to be a bit more professional. And now... We've got to the point where, you know, we used to be ignored. You know, we'd talk to a team. Can we speak to you? Can we have an interview with you? Or we'd speak to F1 and say, hey, can we come to this event? And we'd be ignored and ignored and ignored. Now, we've grown to the point that they actively tell us no and to go away. <laughs> so that's progress. I think that's progress. They're taking the time to tell us to bog off. But uh, thank you very much, Angelo and Brian, for inviting me here. Yeah, no, it was kind of a plea. I wanted to expand my podcast horizons, meet my peers meet people who are doing what I'm doing because I tend to bring in people who are non-podcasters onto my shows or on the radio. I'm interviewing people who are, say, an expert in farming, but they're not broadcasters. And uh, I was really delighted. I, I had a bunch of invites straight away. So, uh, you know, from conspiracy theories to mental health to, to automotive, uh, I've got a, an interesting and fun week of podcasting ahead. Well, thank you for making the time to to show up here. Um, are they all North American podcasts, or like are we um, sort of like the outlier? It's a it's worldwide, and isn't oh isn't isn't the podcast world absolutely fantastic for that? I mean, just with our crew alone, we consider ourselves a transatlantic podcast because we've got yeah, fair enough, we've got quite a few Brits, but my co-host is in Brooklyn. We regularly have a guest in Vancouver, from France, Denmark, uh, Brazil. Uh, you better not forget the Netherlands. Do not forget we have the Netherlands. A, yes, we have Jules as well. We have a Dutch. Yeah, you can't annoy the Dutch in F1 at the moment. You have to say they're all amazing all the time. But it's a truly international feel. And then when you reach out like this in the podcast communities, you're a worldwide citizen. And then when you see, look, oh, I'll get political here. When you see like the increasing uh, populist movements that are hopefully in their death throes, coming up and everyone's like, no, I want to be in this little tiny, no, I need my town to be independent now. Forget you, the rest of the world. Yet so much of what we're doing in the world is international. And more than ever, we are one world juxtaposed against this increasing Western popularism. 
Anyway, there we go. Got, got heavy straight away. Sorry. I mean, we've, we've definitely touched on that, not to get too philosophical either, but we've definitely touched upon that about the, the sort of like the flattening of the way in which we communicate with each other, um, which is both like a, an amazing opportunity, like, like right here, right now. Yeah. But then also at the same time, like it also promotes everyone's viewpoint as like a valid viewpoint. So like then people, uh, th- their egos tend to like blow themselves up. So then you see that at the hyper local level where it's just suddenly it's like, well, no, like we've got to make and move forward. I love that. There's the podcast joke, isn't there? That, um, a, 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 a child says to their parent, what, where do podcasts come from? And the mother says, well, when a man loves his opinion very much, <laughs> a podcast is formed. <laughs> and in your case, you could just go to your shed and actually podcast, which is a very British thing because I've, I have follow a few people on uh, YouTube and uh, they all do stuff from their shed. In my case, it's a couple of uh, composers where they compose music from their sheds, which is not something we do here in Quebec because our sheds are usually not heated and are very cold. Well, you live, you've chosen to stay and live in a country (laughs) where if you fell asleep outside, you'd be dead. And uh, that's a choice you made. (laughs) And, you know, humans never evolved to live in even British climates, let alone Canadian climates. Like we are still Mediterranean beings and we walk around with bits of the equator on us. Do you know, we, we like cover ourselves in fabric so our skin is equator temperature. And you live in a country where if you fall out asleep without enough of that, you're dead. And I often think in the winter, I walk outside and my face hurts. And you go, why? Why do I live here? This is, this is awful. But yeah, sheds. Sorry, you're asking about sheds. Everyone copied me. I got my shed <laughs> about five years ago. It's, re- it's really popular now. People having outside spaces with their office for homeworking and things like that. But yeah, it was about five years ago. Uh, we moved to a, a new place and I was really pushing to make media and podcasting part of my professional career. Because at that point, I was doing five days a week as an engineer, have a Saturday radio show and then do podcasting on a Sunday and then editing and social media and whatever would have to fit in. So I, was doing, I felt like I was doing like a eight, eight day week so I was like, okay oh boy. let's take this seriously i can't keep doing it from the bedroom plus my wife's screaming at me like kids are sleeping what are you doing and i'm there like yelling about kimi raikkonen whatever and then <laughs> so so yeah so we, we we moved into a new house and one of the things i saw was this three by three shed and i thought oh my goodness this is it and i couldn't admit that the reason i loved the house so much was because of this big like summer house out of the back and, and my brother-in-law who's a carpenter decked it out six inch walls so uh, we've got like layers of plasterboard. We've got an air gap because that's essential for uh, for deadening the air. It's got layers to get through. Got layers of rubber, uh, layers of um, insulation material that you put in between bricks, and it is soundproof. Like my wife, who is a singer, and, and can hit the top C in the loving you that one. You know the <laughs> <laughs> so she can she can squeal that out. And, and it doesn't get through, which means suddenly I, I've got this podcasting oasis where I can produce content. I'm not disturbing the kids. They're not in my way as well. Uh, yeah, so the shed has become... Uh, she paint, painted it bright bla- baby blue, so it does look like a beach hut. But apart from that, it's dead manly. Wonderful. Yeah, I, I moved I moved down to the basement last summer when, I, when working from home became pretty much a permanent yeah. thing almost. And because uh, I, I was basically in the middle of the living room and, you know, the, uh, the kids would be in bed, we'd be podcasting, but they could still hear me. Yep. Now it's a little better, although there is no, uh, I showed you, uh, I panned the camera upward so you can see I have no ceiling in the basement. And when somebody drops something on the ceramic tile in the kitchen, it is very loud. So if you see me jump at any moment, 
It's because somebody dropped something. I thought it might be because your guitars that are mounted on the wall <laughs> as a big flex, you've got two guitars mounted on your wall. Uh, I thought there'd be one of those dropping to the floor. No, hopefully not. <laughs> that would be very bad. It's, it's, it's interesting, though, that you've got, you've got that as your flex in the background. So for I, I'm guessing you guys you don't put out videos, so you're... Listeners no, not. Yeah. won't know your background. You're flexing that you're a musician, and Brian is flexing that he reads a lot of books. He's very well read. Look at you. How many of those books are leather bound? None. None. Or one, I think, perhaps. <laughs> so there was um, one. I mean, it does tie into like, I work as a copywriter for a living. So, like, reading is kind of like my raison d'etre, my whole reason for like uh, uh, doing things. Like, I've always been an ardent reader. Angelo, you've always been an ardent musician of some sort, though you yeah. hate being in bands, which makes me laugh. I did not like being in bands. No, I'm not a band guy. Angelo hates moving gear. Yes. Is it the politics? Because <laughs> it's quite fun. My wife's been in bands a lot, and there's always politics, and there's always someone having yes. a screaming tantrum. Well, ask Ryan. He used to be ba- manage a band. So. I, I used to manage a couple of bands, yeah. And that was always just, uh, I love artistic types, can never be one. Um, but as you'd mentioned, Richard, like uh, we are an audio podcast. You are primarily a video podcast, which I find very interesting. I'm just wondering like how you ended up um, in the space where you are with uh, your overlays and things like that, because it seems like quite an evolution. Yeah. Actually, interesting. You've, you've just slightly misread that. The, the video side definitely has grown arms and legs, but... Uh, Primarily, I'm an audio person and a podcaster, and I can just about get my head around the audio engineering side of it. The video, much harder. We have someone as part of our team um, in Australia, Uncle Steve, who helps us with a lot of the video stuff. And we've got a great graphics guy as well from uh, Sweden. These are are listeners who have just gotten to know me, gotten involved in the project, and basically have gone, you're terrible. So they've looked at the the video. (laughs) Um, I'll, I'll say where it started. So when it started, we just had more crew than could be on any particular show because I was going to ask you two right with our show if anyone leaves I can replace them because we've got a big room on and in my early podcasting quote-unquote career very good friend still a good friend of mine who I won't name because Tony gets very embarrassed Tony Barnard gets very embarrassed when I talk about him (laughs) but he had other commitments so we did about 20 episodes of a show and then I think there was a baby that came along then he joined me for another project and there was a job and he couldn't work. And I figured out quickly, I think, no one's going to be as dedicated to this podcast progression as I am. So instead, what I'll do to avoid pod fade, and you guys are doing well if you've done 176 episodes, you've managed to not fall out. What I'll do is I'll gather a crew of experts that I like interviewing. And then when when that crew was forming, people who weren't on the crew were like, oh, is there any way for us to watch the recording and chip in? So what was the video service I used? Not Vimeo. It could, Ustream. I think it was Ustream. I streamed it on Ustream and then later, of course, YouTube. And it was just designed for those guys to to watch it. And then, because we'd be referring to, oh, there was a comment in our chat text. People would say, well, can we, can we watch it too? So it kind of grew from that. And then a video guy looked at it and he went, oh, I like your video. Yes, I like your product, but your video's crap. And he's, he's like, I'll fix it for you. And the same with our website. There was a guy from Malmo who's just like, yeah, your website's terrible. I'm just going to fix it because it's, I like you and I like your going to your website, but it's awful. And that was five years ago and he's been doing our website for five years. So uh, so primarily audio. The video side, though, is just so much harder. And I, I wouldn't fault people for not going into the video side of it because you've got you know the lighting, the camera work, the editing. It's just so, so much harder. However, it's been a shop window for us because we've been able to do the live stream. So, for example, we'll have a, an audience of a, around... 35,000 this year, which is really great between podcast and YouTube. 
mostly on podcast, which has to be the focus because you can get money out of podcasting and podcast advertising. YouTube advertising, you need millions to do. So whereas the podcast audio has kept us running and stopped me having to go and drive a truck for food, uh, the video side is like a shop front. And we've treated that as a shop window to interact with people. Can I, can I do a flex? Is it all right to do a flex? Yeah, of course. Of course. Yesterday for our uh, Dutch Grand Prix race review, we had 15,000 people drop in, individuals drop in at one point in that stream. And it's a really easy way for new people to come check us out, see our faces, go, oh yeah, I like those guys. And then they can subscribe to the podcast. Or these guys are a bunch of turnips, leave a rude comment, make me cry, and then disappear forever. So that's how I've seen the video. That's, exactly. So that's <laughs> what I've seen the video as. It really is, it's a great shop front uh, for, for what we do. And anyone who thinks, what are these guys about? They can see it. And hopefully with our overlays and stuff and what Uncle Steve has given us, we do look, for our budget, I think we punch above our weight. I definitely agree. Have you given any thought to sort of simulcasting on Twitch where there is a subscription model you can sort of like build yeah. a viewership there? And like, it's a little more lucrative than YouTube ads because like the cost per click there is a little low. Yeah, do you know what? I just, this is bad. Like, how old are you guys? I'm 41. I'm, I'm 43. I'm, the, yeah, I'm yeah. the baby here. I'm 35. Yeah. So I, I don't find all of these super easy. I figured out YouTube. <laughs> I tried to do, because I, well, I want to start streaming. I have done before my sim racing. I want to do that on Twitch. I just can't, I can't figure out, I can't figure out how to make it work with OBS. I've tried like four <laughs> times and I haven't been able to. But I guess the, the thing you're talking about is how do you, how do you monetize it in a podcasting? Is, is that, that's the kind of the route you're going down. And, and for me, monetizing podcasting or making any money at all out of my media career was just a way to offset the guilt of the time I spent away from the family uh, and, and you know, getting spousal scorn for doing that extra. Well, actually, if it's bringing in a bit of money, if it's, if it's washing its own face, if it's paying for those four hours that I'm producing it and doing it and editing it, then I couldn't get yelled at. Uh, and then eventually, you know, we got to the point where I, I went part-time engineering and then I had so a day podcasting and a day doing radio, then three days engineering. And, and that was my motivation. It was like, oh my God, I'm literally... I'm earning freedom. And if I do an audio book as well, then, you know, then that takes even more pressure off. So, so for me, that was the motivation for doing it. And the podcast space, I think, offers the best place to do that because of the, the what do you call it? The CPM. So the, the amount of money you'll get per thousand views or whatever is just that much higher. And if you can get an audience around 10,000, I think that's the kind of cutoff point for podcasts and start putting audio uh, adverts on it, then you start getting something that can look after itself, can pay for its own equipment, can pay for the Zoom subscription, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then eventually you get to a point where, well, it can pay for your time as well. Yeah, I wish we could get to that point sometimes, but uh, you know, for for Ryan and I, it's been always a bit of a hobby. I've oh, been, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll, because I've always liked podcasts. I've been, I, I, I go back to the olden days of podcasting and like when I would actually download it to my iPod. Yes, like, yeah. Literally where the name came from, right? Yep. In 2005, I was listening to, and all the early podcasts were these tech podcasts, right? Because these are the only people that really knew what they were doing yep. to actually start podcasting. Twit, and now, twit. Yeah, yeah, Twit, exactly. Yep. That was the first podcast I listened to. And uh, and now everybody can podcast. It's like it, nah, no, it's, it's I'm going to we're going to fall out. First falling out already, Angelo. Not not everyone everybody can not try everyone. podcasting, but not everybody can do it well. <laughs> I just I sometimes wish there was a different category 
for, for podcasts because yes, there's the big industry podcast, but then yeah. there's also independent podcasts, which just there's like a minimum standard for quality and let's mm -hmm. call that something. And then, and then there's an almost more audio blog where people are like yeah. speaking into their phone or whatever. When you guys, when you sent me your link to your show, I tuned in. First thing that impressed me, I went, wow, these guys understand audio. They respect their audience. And to me, sitting there with a decent mic, like uh, Brian's got their SM7B. Uh, B. Yeah. Um, and uh, you are getting great sound of, out of what looks like an SM58. SM58. Okay, you're a magician. Yeah. I don't know quite how you're getting that sound out of it. <laughs> uh, but it shows respect for, for the audience. And like, it, you can be a hobbyist, but you can take the the discipline of podcasting seriously enough, and people just seem to think, well, if I'm saying something interesting, the audience uh, will will listen. But to me, the second, you know, the second it's like far away or echoey or anything like that, no, I just go, no. well, you're not even trying. Oh, yeah. Why should I bother? Yeah, this that was a, a very high goal for Ryan and us was to make sure it sounded good. That was honestly one of the reasons I wanted to work on a podcast was to actually play around with audio in, uh, I think I started in, I started also in GarageBand like you, Brian, right? Like, and then very quickly I realized I had a good, a good discount through work because mm -hmm. I work at an educational institution to get Logic Pro for very cheap. And, uh, it, it really changed my workflow. Brian recently discovered how, how much of a difference Logic Pro makes when you're working on a podcast and it, it is overkill for a podcast. Like it, it, it's, it's very much for music, but yeah. it made making the podcast that much easier. And I, and thanks for calling me a magician because as Brian knows, I love magic. I, uh, <laughs> no. I have my playing oh, cards okay. right here to, if you need to know. Oh my card God. Trick. It was the seven of diamonds. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it's been a running gag that Angel's always trying to introduce the the like talking about magic into every episode we can, even when it doesn't fit. So it's it's been a constant struggle. Just shoehorn um, that in. That. Yeah, it's yeah. like when I'm doing my my gardening show, I'm always shoehorning in references to sim racing, and I've been specifically <laughs> told to stop doing that. <laughs> Well, I mean, like this whole podcast started because Angela had podcast Envy, um, oh. because I had, similar to you, Richard, I had a podcast before this I did with a friend, also named Tony, um, and that kind of petered out after 16 or 17 episodes, and then Angela and I were trying to figure out what to do together, which kind of landed on, um, originally we, we debated either doing a tech or a paranormal podcast, and then we kind of like, we've done both together, but the paranormal has sort of transformed itself into conspiracy theories, yeah. alternative medicine, like kind of like a lot of yeah. smorgasbord of like weird you know, outside of the regular, the norm kind of stuff. Wait, so are you guys like um, skeptics with a with a K? You know, are you part of the skeptical movement? I, I don't want to be like, uh, I'm not one that goes, uh, tries to debunk things on purpose, but I am, uh, in terms of the of the show, and Brian's pretty skeptical too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I do... Like you know, I've read Richard Dawkins' books, and I've I've read the Skeptics Guide to the Universe. All those stuff. I I love I love uh, Carl Sagan. Yeah, all that stuff. So I maybe I am a debunker. I don't know. Like people who listen to the show who are very much believers probably dislike me a lot more than they they dislike Brian. Well, the problem is that like we want to believe, but our threshold for belief is so much higher than someone who just looks at stuff at face value and doesn't kind of like look at things and try to figure things out like logically Spanners and rationally. Excited. No, because you're so right because people think of uh, like skeptics as, as cynics. You know, they interchange it with the term cynic and it's like we want all that stuff to be true. Like it would be so cool if there was aliens that were going to visit us and let us go on these massive intergalactic trips. It would be amazing if there was cold fusion, not cold fusion, the perpetual energy machines. They would be yes. amazing. 
But I want the evidence and I'd rather have the evidence for it than just live in a fantasy that it's there and having to close my ears to the evidence. But I, I would say I am like a card carrying skeptic. I, I always try and squeeze that into other productions, but I'm, I'm religiously skeptical. And I was in, I was working in the Hebrides, in the outer Hebrides, right at the north, right at the top of the UK. Um, and Richard Dawkins was there Ooh. in a pub just on a cycling holiday. I swear it was him. Think it, I know he does that kind of thing. So he was there. He was over there, and I'm like, I want to talk. And this is before, you know, he made it quite clear that he was probably a bit of a, a bit of a knob. But at the time, I was just like, oh wow, he's such a like a pioneer of all these kind of skeptical kind of atheist stuff. And I said to my friend, I said, oh my god, I just want to go over there and say to him that he's the Jesus of of atheism, and I'd follow him anywhere and do whatever he says. But I didn't. I ended up politely. I, I left him to his scallops. <laughs> but it, yeah, it's funny because like we, we, and I don't know how much you followed the whole like um, uh, UFO slash UAP movement in the States right now. It's kind of like got this whole government tinge to it. And once again, it's like this whole thing of like, it's become too dogmatic to circle back what we talked about before about like how everyone's opinion um, is equal and valid. And then like suddenly everyone on the internet has an opinion about these things, despite the fact that there is a lack of like clear and concise evidence with context to it, especially with all these like military videos that keep coming out that like could be almost anything because of their poor quality. <laughs> so uh, my co-host is from Brooklyn, as I mentioned, he is very much a, a liberal and, a, and a, a critical thinker as well. And it's just so interesting to, to see this massive divide in the US where you've got almost two completely different realities. And tell me if I'm insulting anyone. Sorry, you're not the US, sorry, you're but North America in general. But do you know what I mean? Like there's that kind of Fox News side and then there's the kind of CNN side. I don't know if I'm quite You mean reality. It. Yeah, reality. But as my, as my friend Matt says, uh, he goes, well, reality has a liberal bias. And uh, <laughs> I go, okay, all right, calm down. Uh, but it's just, <laughs> well, let's just put it this way. We're, we are not a podcast that advocates taking sheep and horse dewormer uh, as like a, a cure no, for all. No. So this is where we stand here. So I, I had an interview with a media outlet and they would... I was interviewing as a presenter and this was maybe four or five years ago when, yes, of course, the climate change thing was decided, but in media, you still had to have a both sides, you know, approach. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and I was mortified. They were talking about, well, uh, neutrality. How would you approach this kind of thing? And I said, well, I would speak to a climate expert and they were like, ah, but what about a climate change denier? And I'd be like, well... I don't know, a quick five no. minutes, a quick soundbite. And they were like, no, you've got to give them equal time. And I went, no, not a chance. And I have to say this policy has pretty much changed everywhere now. But, you know, I hope I was on the right side of history there. And, and they said to me, oh, it's, it's it's but it's balance. We have to have balance. And yeah, I, well, there's a, fairness, yeah. there's a fairness doctrine that, like, is invalid when you invite everyone to have a seat at the table. <laughs> yeah, not all opinions are, are valid. And I said, <laughs> and I, I flat out said, I, I am biased to things that I can observe. I'm biased to the evidence. So if that's biased, then I'm happy to be biased. And that, that is a hill that you can die on. And I'd be quite proud if I didn't get a job because I didn't want to give, you know, fringe lunatics equal airtime. Well, it's like, it's like having an astronaut to talk about outer space and then having a flat earther on with him to t talk about the other side of things. Oh, I know. The flat earthers are amazing. Do you know Simon Dan on YouTube? I don't know if you've heard of him. He's quite... Yes, no. I have, unfortunately. Oh, I have not. Oh, you don't like him? Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, I meant more like... Uh, uh, 
my whole journey to discovering flat earth has allowed me to watch his videos oh. and while they're very good it's just like it's sad that i spend so much time in this realm already i feel like my brain is poisoned uh, good because he's a really good friend of mine i thought you're gonna be like i hate that guy he's a, <laughs> no no he's no, no, no 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 my unfortunately is like i've the logical conclusion of having spent hours and hours and hours because youtube's algorithm feels the need yeah. to like give me um a certain kind of 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 uh, videos so then you go searching for other stuff and you're forced to go search for other stuff that was a potential hospital pass what I should have said was so my friend Dan goes by Simon Dan on YouTube my very good friend Dan I don't know if you guys have heard of him uh, but <laughs> he has basically made a full time career and like pretty decent wedge as well just from debating and talking to these flat earthers and he does give them a full platform to, to say what they want, to respond to him, I think he's very brave. He comes uh, up against some real vitriol, personal attacks, personal threats. Uh, but he's doing, I was going to say he's doing God's work, but that's sort of wrong in this context. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he's, he's really out there, like pumping in the hours, pumping in the miles. And, and he's seen this evolution as well of people coming into the flat earth regime with good intentions. So they come into this, this, this way of thinking, not trying to fool you, not as shysters, not as, uh, you know, trying to profit from it. They genuinely have bought into the Earth is flat stuff. And then he's seen their evolution from that to actually going, oh, yeah, I went and I did all the experiments. And turns out, no, it, it isn't flat. Sorry. <laughs> but they've had years of this arc and this journey. We watched, uh, uh, when it came out, there's a documentary called Behind the Curve all about the flat Earth conspiracy. And like the run a lot of these tests. They spend a lot of money. This group spends a lot of money on these tests that reveal that the earth is real and true and round. And suddenly it's uh, the pivot and escalate their denials, unfortunately. But at the end of the documentary, um, they there's a meetup of like scientists. They talk about how people have a, a scientific curiosity of things. And when they begin researching this, it's because of that curiosity. They don't necessarily have an agenda. They just want to understand. And unfortunately, um, their point of entry is what marks them the most. And unfortunately, a lot of the time it is through a YouTube video or social yeah. media or something that like sort of like infects them in a certain way. Well, now it's YouTube, but I, I mean, you, you almost don't want to say you're an atheist because people will like yell at you or judge you. But I am an atheist in that I am without religion. And my YouTube when I was a kid was church and Sunday school. And you are fed the things as facts you are fed facts that jesus jesus did this and uh, uh, this is right and that's wrong and the earth was made in this way so you're absolutely fed those facts and that's not so different to these guys getting into the youtube algorithm loops that you were referring to and and so when you say oh i'm an atheist and i think people have this image of like well you're a bitter atheist you don't love anything you eat babies and i'm like no guys <laughs> But they taste so good. They taste so good, yeah. But I'm like, no, guys, losing my religion was like the worst thing. Because like you said, with aliens, how cool would aliens be? Like, I definitely want there to be a loving God who's going to look after me for eternity. Of course. As long as, long as I don't kiss boys. But, you know, the, the, the very loving fact of the universe making sense is amazing. And whenever I lost a relative, they would be not gone. They would go to heaven and they'd be there waiting and like my mom literally would say with relatives, they're here with us now. They're here. And so in your mind, no one, no one ever dies. So I wasn't going to go out of my way to lose that. And when I lost, I sorry, this is the right tangent, isn't it? We were going to talk about mics. But when That's I lost, fine. we'll get to it. It's fine. When I went on the same arc as these flat earthers back round to not believing in it, when I 
you know, without any hatred towards religion, just came to that conclusion that, that that's not what I believe to be true anymore. I lost so much. I lost everlasting. I was immortal, Brian. I was immortal. <laughs> and now I am delicate and fragile. I am a speck of dust that will disappear in a whisper. And of course, I then grieved every single relative I'd lost all in one go. So when people get upset at atheists or, or skeptics for, for being cynical, it's like, no, dudes, we want what you want. We do. I swear we want what you want. But with the, the comfort of, of evidence and reasoning and like yeah. the scientific method being applied properly. Yeah. So I was, I was um, getting emotional, so I moved away from the mic, but now I can get, I can get all <laughs> back in and get my mic technique right. Sorry. Well, on the same lo- along the same lines of religion, are you a Mac user or a PC user? Dude, dude, in podcasting, right, I have so many different guests. Like I have like, you know, maybe 50 guests in a year on that um, and then on other projects as well. Whenever we encounter a project, I've never owned a Mac, but the amount of times something doesn't work and I'm like, and they're like, oh, well, it's a Mac and I don't know how to fix it. I'm like, well, can you plug the thing in the thing? And they're like, no, my Mac runs on thought and love and ethereal concepts of <laughs> bourgeois something. I'm like, okay, that would be, but a USB port would be brilliant, wouldn't it? Uh, so we run into so many problems with Mac users that I just can't, but I would never buy one now because it always seems so difficult. Why'd you ask? Well, okay, thanks for being on the show, Spanners. Oh, uh, no, you're all on Mac. <laughs> no, you're all Mac. Well, no, Angelo, Angelo's the classic app. We joke that he's the classic Apple fanboy. Right. Uh, whereas I use Apple products because, like, in university, I, I was um, surrounded by it. I, I have a B in sound production, right? So Pro Tools hooked into a Mac was, like, the better, cheaper option a lot of the time instead of, like, building your own PC and having to deal with that. Whereas, like, now I feel like it's almost inverse for a lot of the, the AV stuff, especially if you're doing video editing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Angelo, I, I will let you Apple away right no, now. I, and I, I joke about we joke about <laughs> yeah. this because I honestly really don't care. It's just my preference. I I was a PC user for oh, since like from 1990 to 2003, and then I finally got a Mac and said, "Let me try this," especially for music production. Mm. And it was so much better for for my purposes. It was that much better, and uh, and like I was telling Brian, I think it was an episode a few weeks ago where I said, if I had to switch to a PC. I will. I don't. I don't know what I do for my podcasting setup because it would be so different. None of the none of yeah. the apps I use for podcasting are actually available on a PC. It goes back to that. Uh, why, why why haven't you tried Twitch? It, well, I learned one thing, and now oh, that's I'm, it. Now I'm just sticking with that. That's how they get you. It's a gateway, isn't it? Uh, I think I had yeah. a, I had an iPhone, and then I then I then I switched after the iPhone four because my friends were complaining about it because. Like if you held it on one side of your head, you oh, weren't yes. getting reception. So I tried. you were holding it wrong. Yeah, That's all it was. <laughs> so I tried. I tried a, a different phone, and then suddenly I was like, "Oh wow!" With Android, you can. I can't remember if it was Android then, but it's like, "Oh, you can hack into it and do all different stuff." And that's what that's what got me hooked in. I like. I I'm an engineer at heart, electronics engineer. I like pulling things apart, putting them back together. Yeah, most you can't do that with Max. No. You know, I mean, like, just one thing, for example, like, you can't really easily, readily put in a replacement hard drive. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And that drives me insane. That drives me insane, the fact that I'm locked into having um, an SSD in here that I would love to swap out for a larger one. My my wife will would want that to be a, an option for me that my pc be sealed and never upgraded because i because <laughs> as soon as i put an upgrade i just put it, uh, i've got three terabytes of ssd hard drive now and as soon as i've done that my mind's going hmm but is that amd 560 5600 really enough you know do i need the 5950x uh, but yeah all right well let's let's not talk about that anymore <laughs> but so okay so now we we know we we took a little tangent to the paranormal which we'll come back later 
what was interesting is when we, we were just talking about coming on the show on Twitter, you, you realize that uh, Brian and I also have a fixation with microphones. Yeah. And it seems to be something that you, for, for in my case, you know, I, I haven't really changed mic. I just play with, I around with the idea of maybe getting something or not. Like I looked at the Electro Voice, I looked at, a, at the SMB7. I don't know. There's so many things. And I've been happy with this SM58 and it's been going well. And why spend an extra three or $400 when I don't need to? I've had this microphone yet, for yet 20 years. This man years. will buy 6,000 HomePods for his home. They're good. They sound great. Oh, whatever. <laughs> okay. Uh, but I realized you have a bit of a microphone fixation. Uh, yeah. Look, um, so I started with that uh, SM58 because, uh, in fact, it was the beta SM58B uh, yes. because they yep. they suit generally like female singers' voices. So my wife had like a bunch of them. And now that we run uh, classes, uh, we have, I think, maybe 12 of those in the house. So, so I started off with those podcasting with my wife we had a podcast about how awful it was to be parents and how nothing would ever be the same <laughs> we had to abandon that eventually because we just kept having rows and so I've, i'd have to edit out before the row got like bad and i'm like but i'm recording this and so i don't care i'm never doing this again and then we had like loads of like, we got through like 20 episodes before we ended up and i was like right well do you know what being a parent isn't just rubbish being a dad is rubbish so i found other dads <laughs> <laughs> to, to whinge about mums with. Um, but anyway, oh yeah, so microphone fetish. Um, I had z- like zero budget. So everything was trying to be cost neutral. So I really got into just eBay. And I'm, I'm fine. I'm good on eBay. I can spot a right bargain, buy it. And I always have this attitude with secondhand stuff, especially electronics, that it holds its value enough that with the eBay fees when you sell it on, really you're like renting it. So you can like cheaply rent a microphone, you can try it, you can send it back. I do the same with VR headsets, SIM steering wheels. Like hardly anything of this man cave is bought new because basically avoiding getting out of trouble. So there we go. I'm in that market, which means I can try stuff out. So the next one from the SM58, my wife bought me the Rode NTA-1, which is the first condenser mic, which is, which is an interesting sort of choice where people are always asking, should I have a dynamic or a condenser mic? And my wife bought this for a birthday present. I was like, wow, this looks the bomb. It looks like a proper condenser mic. It needs phantom power. It's all like, there's like an almost like electric sound. You know, if I get close into the mic, you can feel the buzz and the roar of the vocals and proximity effect. And I looked at the box and it said, like specifically designed for female vocalists. And what I realized is she'd bought herself basically a mic to put in my shed and called it a birthday present. Uh, But really... To have that condense, condenser mic where it's powered and very sensitive, you need a studio environment to do it. So for yourself, where you've got kids running around in the background, you do want a kind of a dead dynamic mic. But I've been through all the USB mics. You know, I've, I've given uh, Yetis and Snowballs and um, what are we on at the moment? We like the Rode, the Rode USB one. I think that is the, I'm not sponsored by Rode but they can if they want. The the Rode yeah. USB ones. Use coupon code. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Spam Mistapex uh, <laughs> forward slash Rode. But that, that is like the best value versus quality one that I'm giving to people at the moment. Um, and uh, and then everyone th- went through the phase of having the snowball mics because they were only like yeah. $50, but they have so many glitches and hiccups and they're just awful. So we've stopped using those. But always on eBay, always like just chasing and scrimping. I became obsessed with not spending the money. And uh, in fact, the Heil PR40 as well, because my podcasting hero, Scott Johnson, one of your North American type people from the morning stream, 
he used one. I think Leo Laporte also had the Heil PR40. Yeah. So I got a second-hand one of those, which I've actually got. Look how fancy I am. It's just my, it's my second mic now on my, wow. on my sim, on my, for my sim rig. Um, but this one I'm using now, I did buy this new because this was like the dream mic. The podcast is starting to make money. How can I go for maximum quality? So I, I bought the same one I use in the BBC studio and it's a Neumann TLM 103. And it's just a dream. Like all the other mics... I had to put effects on it and do different stuff. I don't know how well it's coming across on a on a Zoom call. Sounds good. Suddenly, when I put that in my ears, I was like, "Oh, it feels like it feels like radio." I don't know if I can get it to sound like radio. <laughs> it feels like radio. And, like, this is a thousand quid microphone, so this is like my baby. Whenever I leave the house, this is the thing that I, I like. I put it somewhere safe in case we get burgled. It's like yeah, family pictures are left out, the family hard drives, but the Neumann that gets put away safe. Yeah, I, I had to actually look it up because I, I, I've heard of it. And I think uh, some of the podcasters I listen to uh, use it as well. Yeah. And uh, then I saw the price and I said, well, I, I would never buy that just yet. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Need to, need to monetize the show. but uh, And I'm sure that like I'm not getting everything out of it. I'm sure I'm like a big idiot who got the big fancy mic. And I think like at a certain point, and what you're right is, you know, we, we, we want to talk about a, uh, podcasting on a budget. At a certain point, you know, you're, you're, the more you spend the less of a return you get on the sound, right? Yeah, diminishing returns. If you get a $200 microphone, for example, the SM58, I think is anywhere from $150 to $200, depending on where you are. I think it's less. I think it's less. I think it's less now. In Britain, I think you could pick up a second one, secondhand one for 80 quid. Yeah, exactly. But this sounds pretty good. And it's funny because when I have Zoom calls with colleagues and if the children are home, I usually put the headphones on and the microphone and everybody's like, why do you sound like the voice of God? <laughs> and, and, and I mean, compared to just the, the crummy microphone on a, on a PC yeah, laptop or, but, Ma- or Mac, it's yeah. You've got a massive advantage thing. though, because yeah. North American accents sound like they're on the telly. So while I like having an American co-host because he's like, hey guys, everything I say is important. We're the totally dip dip do. <laughs> Well, we sound we sound very Canadian, I think, because I, I when I started listening to myself back, I said, "Oh, is it, so that's the Canadian accent." And it's funny, I uh, uh, Brian, I'm just going to switch to F1 for a second. Yeah, I heard yeah. Nicholas Latifi on a podcast a few weeks ago, and I'm like, oh, he really sounds like he's he's from here. He has that very much uh, Canadian English from an ethnic background because I think he's half Italian, half Iranian, uh-huh. and uh, he he sounds like people I grew up with. Yeah, but half of his language and expression is with his hands. So hands, you can't, yeah, yes, exactly. of course. It has to be a video with Italians or you're being racist. Actually, you know what the, the weird thing is? You don't talk a lot with your hands when we video record. They're tied to the, my chair. Oh, so. okay. I see how it is. <laughs> no, I, I don't know. I, and I, uh, yeah, no, my, my parents really were not the, the super Italian with their, their hands out in the air all the time. I, I, I keep my hands still. I don't want to make too much noise, distract. Do you find that you end up playing up to your Canadianness because I have to stop myself being like too British because I'm going, well, in an international panel, I go, well, I'm not like a received English. You know, I don't speak like the Queen or a Duke or anybody from Game of Thrones. I will cut but you. But it's weird because you keep waving your pinkies around every yes. single time you talk. So I don't know. And that's how I, got your that's how I drink tea, tea as well. With my <laughs> pinky out in the air, of course, and my scones as well. Uh, but yeah, so you, you have to sometimes... Because you're you're talking into like a radio mic, and then you try to be like people you've heard off the radio, and sometimes you have to stop stop doing an impression of posh people. You are from the scummiest part of Colchester in Essex. <laughs> Just be you. 
You're not, you don't strike me as a chavvy kind of guy, though. No, I've always strived to be better. So uh, I come from working class roots, but I have said to my wife, who is just from like an even worse part of Essex, I've said to her, I think we're ready to be promoted to middle class soon. Our kids, <laughs> our kids well, okay, so, have well, music question then, how many, how many tracksuits do you own? How many tra- oh, oh, come on. That's not fair. <laughs> They're so comfortable. I do not. Since COVID, I, I increased my, I guess you'd call them sweatpants collection. Yes, yeah. And I just got so used to being in sweatpants and like you're expected as a 40 year old really to turn up either in jeans or a suit to go to work. So I turn up for radio and one day I was just like, I just forgot myself. I got dressed into these just blue sweatpants and a, a, like a gym t-shirt. And to me, I looked entirely normal. This is what I've looked like for the last 18 months. First comment I get is, oh, why are you in your pajamas? Like, oh, do you know I mean? I'm like, no, this is sharp. <laughs> yeah, you're just trying to redefine culture. Yeah, exactly. Sweatpants <laughs> is the way forward. Like, there's no need for suits. Suits are just crazy. Like, get over yourselves. Like, you put a suit on because you want to feel important, right? You talk about climate change, and then with your dress shirt underneath your suit, you heat up. Using probably fossil fuel, you heat up a bit of metal and you press it against your shirt so it's prettier. Then you put on a suit jacket, crinkle it all up and sit in a car anyway, just so you can feel like an important businessman. I hate suits. I hate ironing. Uh, I think we should end it. And also jeans. When are jeans comfortable? There's no situation where jeans are comfortable. If it's cold, you want something like sweatpants or joggers. And if it's hot, they're they're a nightmare anyway because they're boiling hot. So what's the point? Well, it's funny you say that because I'm I'm going I'm going somewhere after this, and uh, I was oh I'm not jeans? invited to my mother-in-law's. No, yeah, uh, I was, and I, then I'm like, who are we kidding? I'm just going to wear sweatpants and running shoes, yeah, and, and, a, and a sweater, yeah. and that's fine. Trainers, because it is it is a bit cool today. So why would you wear deliberately uncomfortable shoes just to match your ridiculous suit? I have I have to wear a suit in a few weeks to a wedding. And, which I'm nervous about going to because I'm not even sure how that's going to work with uh, with uh, COVID around still. Oh, don't! But, I, I've got COVID now. I'm proper ill. I'm proper ill. My whole family's got COVID. We're stuck at home, so I'm fully sick. I, you can see on the video, I'm like pouring with sweat. But I did all the rubbish stuff with COVID. Like my wife was in bed for three days. I had to do all that. They're cleaning, the cooking, looking after terrible children, driving them to the test center, shoving the thing up your nose. So I've done all the bad <laughs> stuff. I'm going to do the fun podcasty bit. I'm not skipping that. I'd rather pass out mid-show than just... <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because when, when you told me yesterday, yeah. I said, oh, well, you don't have to record with us. This is just the fun thing. It's just, but you said, yeah, no, no, I, I want to do, do the fun I thing. I was in bed because yeah. uh, it's like three o'clock my time that we started. I was in bed till half two. I set an alarm. I woke up, had a shower and just went, yeah, I'll just do the fun thing and then I'll collapse afterwards. It'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> well, you look, you actually look quite good. So, and you're doing great. So. Oh, can I ask a suit question to Brian though? Because yes. you've got such a big, bushy beard. Yes. Do you ever feel like if you get dressed up in a suit, you just go, well, what's the point? I've got a big caveman beard and then this crisp suit. So crazier than that, it used to be much larger. Did it? Um, and a little more kept. Yeah, there was a, a time a couple of years ago where it was just like, this is like pre like dating my wife who was like, I think you need to trim it down a bit in order to stop scaring people. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's a very weird dichotomy of like, Here's my beard. Here's the suit. I'm not a huge suit fan. I work for yeah. a tech startup, thankfully. Ah, so you're um, like, don't and, even if wear someone socks. wears not a even suit, <laughs> it's very confusing on stream yeah. if someone shows up. And like Angela was saying, unlike him, a lot of people use their mic setup for like work calls. So like seeing yeah. a menagerie of mics during my day is like not abnormal. So when you yeah. are in your tech company and someone comes in a, in a suit, 
is your first thought, oh my God, how does he even hacky sack in that? And you're there and you're there. <laughs> no, it's more so like, who is this man and he doesn't work here? What does he want with us? Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't get it. So it's always confusing. Uh, always, always confusing to see. You, you, wanted, uh, yeah, you, wanted, you wanted me to rant about suits and insult Brian's beard and background, right? That was the plan. <laughs> that was yeah. the plan, yes. Okay. Well, it's because usually I'm the rougher one. Like, I will I will push Angelo a little bit more, whereas he's like the nicer classic Canadian one. So it's nice to have Angelo bring in a ringer. Ah, That's, I, I think, what we're nice. trying to say here. Nice. So uh, I, because I've got a Filipino background, half Filipino, and my face, I'm 41. I look about... 14 at best so i i can't grow a very good beard in fact i've grown a beard it's all right it's passable the women in my life have said it's good to keep it so i'm keeping it for now um but so a listener from the philippines he said that i was carrying the beard hopes of a nation on my shoulders because i've actually got a little bit on the side and then and then my boy he's like dad you have to keep that because that's the only way you look like a real dad because <laughs> like, oh, no. <laughs> if I shave it, I look too young. Anyway, sorry. I will, if I shave, I look really young too. Like I, I did it maybe 10 years ago and everyone was like super confused. They're like, you look like a 16 year old. And I was in my mid like, 20s. They're like, never, ever. Have you got kids? I've never kids? seen Brian without a beard. Oh. Have you got kids? Uh, you have, you just don't remember it. Ah. And no, I do not thankfully have kids. Ah, okay. okay. There's all those videos, <laughs> I, isn't there, of babies that get freaked out when their dad shaves the beard yeah. off and they can't <laughs> recognize them. Well, my nephew, my nephew is 18 months old and he really, really likes it for some reason. When he sees me, he like lights up. Um, and yeah, he loves, he loves a good grab. Thinks you're so I, let him, I let him grab. Thinks you're <laughs> Savage. Angel, you're, you're not really, you've never grown facial hair, right? Like, no, is, I, I, at one point when I was in a band that had one of those soul patch I was going to say, things. I thought you had a pinch at one point. Definitely, yeah, you strike me not, as a pinch kind of man. Not beyond that, no. And yeah, my, my kids sometimes touch my bald spot and said, daddy, your hair's broken. Oh. <laughs> So, you know, it's funny, uh, speaking of kids' voices and stuff, uh, Spanners has great bumpers on his show. Oh, yeah. And a couple of them are his children, and uh, th- they're great. I, and every once in a while, when my kid complains about something, I think, I want a pony, and I want it now. Oh, I, I can play that for you now, if you want. I can just press the button. Let's Please. do it. Daddy, I want a pony, and I want it now. And then the, the other one is our, our Missed Apex Award. These are awards we give out on the show. Oh no, you missed the apex. But this is like six years ago and they're like tiny. So I think my lad was like five there. I got him to re-record one recently at 11 and people were like, no, that, <laughs> no, we don't want a grown up kid doing it. And then, uh, oh, my wife does one as well. Comment of the week. So my whole family is on my show every week. See, now it feels like I'm on a different podcast. Oh, sorry. Oh, gosh. It's true. Yeah, sorry about what, Brian, what, what, did you, what did you think about the race this weekend, Brian? <laughs> oh, the Dutch. Love the Dutch. Yeah. All those flares. Hang on. And, oh, yeah, exactly. And that's all we've got time for on Missed Apex Podcast. <laughs> Does diversity. Pew. Hang on. We've got to do the pew. There we go. Sorry. I'll stop playing. No, I love it. What were we talking about? Microphones? Yeah, microphones. microphones. Uh, Brian recently got his SM7B. Uh, yeah, yeah, I got my 7B recently. Uh, before that, I was using... And it's funny that... Uh, so, um, Richard was mentioning uh, the Yeti microphones of yours. So, I got one 10 years ago. Broke within the first month of having it. I got into a huge battle with Yeti trying to get it run. And, and it was a USB one. I had said, forget it. I'm never dealing with them again. And then when we started back up, I actually uh, decided to go the um, sort of like the analog slash like USB route. So I have a mixer. I have a four track mixer. I was using Audio-Technica uh, 2020s, which were pretty cheap, all things considered. They're about 120 Canadian. It's a pretty easy price point to want if you're like serious about about podcasting and I've, I've referred friends to a setup of like a decent like $80 four track speaker and then two AT2020s for like 300 bucks. You're good to go. Yeah. And 
you can get snobby about mics. I think if you're going to have a, a USB mic as a guest on a show, that's fine. You're clear, you're crisp. But if you want to start taking this seriously, and my goodness, I hope my audio comes across okay after talking about oh audio Oh my God, quality. that'd be amazing if I just, I'll add just crinkly yeah, sounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or or like, just like drop the bitrate on it, like yeah. massively. Yeah. Or like you just like tear a noise gate on it that cuts out like all the, the, the highs <laughs> and the lows. But um, when you, I think, want to start being serious about it and crafting it, you do need that flexibility of going like XLR into a, a mixing desk. And and I think a lot of people do go in with the Yeti and, and you can kind of tell because it's way too sensitive for um, for newbies. Even when you have it a directional, it, it serves a purpose. Don't get me wrong, it serves a purpose and it looks gorgeous and you can have double enders on it and stuff. But in the wrong environment, you've got to have the perfect environment. So, There's so, many, so much room tone. Yeah, yeah, so much room what, tone. That's what I was looking for. You can hear a lot All of the time. Yeah, and, and people just crank it up to hear them and then you can hear like their neighbors and like yes. people far away. So if you want to be serious, I do always say to people like, just try and get yourself on that mixer path but then you're down this whole other route like i've had, had as many mixers as i've had mics because i used this this uh sort of concert mixer that my wife used and it really wasn't appropriate for an indoor recording space because the preamps aren't designed for that so you can crank a preamp up and if it's got a slight hiss it doesn't matter because you've got like a pounding bass line over the top of it and people are drunk in a field anyway. And so a lot of like the alto ones that we used to get from Maplins or I guess like Radio Shack would be your equivalent, have these terrible preamps. And then people spend hours trying to get rid of that that buzz or some ground effect um, yeah. Yeah, yep. that, that's coming through. Um, and now, uh, in fact, once it broke and I'm trying to do everything free, my wife's speaking to this uh, choir uh, and someone is, runs the church and they're like, oh, we've just got rid of our church mixer. Come and get it. So I go to pick it up. This thing is a meter wide. It's a gigantic, like wooden, ancient mixer like that. And I'm like, oh, it's a gift so from cool. God. Yeah, a gift from God. But it was like, obviously, it's like a bit rubbish. So then, like, <laughs> you know, and it's again not suitable for the studio. So that's a battle to go into. But you have to play that game. That's almost like a kind of price of entry. And then that's how you learn. How do I learn to cut out noise in just one frequency? What apps are good for that? understanding and that's part of the art of it is understanding right well actually that if i do a noise gate just a flat noise gate every time i talk you hear the buzz every time i don't yep. talk mm -hmm. you don't hear the buzz so you, in the gaps you go oh, it's nice and silent but then when you talk there's a there's a, a yeah it's a considerable noticeable um, yeah. um uh, unwanted sound about a year ago Brian, when I actually more than a year ago, when I started editing the podcast, Brian came because we always do a quality assurance after we record, and Brian listens to it. And he was telling me, There's room tone. I hear room tone. I don't know what's going on with your room tone. What are you doing wrong? There's I was going nuts trying to hear the thing. And then I, I literally thought it was because I was going old, getting old and I couldn't hear his room tone that I, I took hearing tests online uh. to know what was wrong with my frequencies. Anyway, it turns out his cat had pressed one of the buttons on his mixer. <laughs> well, yeah, it, it turned missing. out that uh, the second channel gain had been raised a little bit. Um, yeah. And obviously, like, I don't use it because I only have one mic plugged in most of the time unless I'm doing something with my wife when she's in the room. But somehow the cat had gotten into the second channel gain and like lifted it just a little bit where it was super noticeable. Oh, no. um, and it was driving me crazy because I kept checking my my setup for my channel and it looked fine to me. Yeah, I, I've, I had a, an episode where I, I sounded really like roomy and like echoey and like thin and I, I driving me mad. I'm doing all the right things. What's happened here? Turns out I had, you know, I've got studio monitors so you don't have to wear the earphones. 
and I just had them on. So I'm talking and the speaker's coming out, feeding back into the mic, <laughs> but I've got my headphones on, so I can't hear that at all. And, and you just go, oh. And that's, that's the kind of mistake. You make that once, you kick yourself. Yeah. And then I, like, I did a whole apology. I'm so sorry. The audio on this episode has fallen behind the standard that we would aim for. Forgive we've definitely, me. We've definitely done that too, yeah. I think, in, in yeah. instances where it's come up. And it's funny because, you know, like you and I... Uh, all three of us can control our audio, but then, like, when you have a guest, right? It's like yeah. you want the guest on, but how do they sound? And like, how to be diplomatic about that yep. is, is a little bit difficult sometimes. Yes. Oh, and you have to you have to really judge what how far can I adjust this guy's audio before he gets just so peed off that he's not going to give me good content anymore. And that really that is a fine line sometimes because you're having to teach people basic mic technique, uh, f- fault find their environment and their room and do mic set up for them often like no i'm on this mic no really honestly you're on a webcam i can i've been doing this a while this isn't my first rodeo i know you're on a webcam please go to the damn audio thing and select (laughs) your mic and i go could you just tap that for me and they they tap it i'm like no i really can't i promise you and then they put doing the settings they go oh oh yeah okay yeah or they they change it and they go well i i don't know why and i'm like oh it's fixed and, you know, they go, oh, okay, well, I didn't touch anything. Yes, you did, you liar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've definitely had a, um, a number of guests. We're like, thankfully, most of our guests have their own setup, so it's never been quite an issue. But sometimes you think that they're recording from one input, but it's another input. So suddenly it's just they're recording from their laptop mic without realizing it. And it's just, yeah. you only realize that in post. And it's like, well, okay, we can fix it. How do we do that? Like, we could do a little bit of EQing. We could sort of like play around with it. But once again, it's it's kind of evident given the format. Yeah, and don't do video then because it, that then doubles because you've got to have that. You're, so, so, say we're on the YouTube. You see, you my I'm in the middle and I've got a TV screen off to my left. So it's odd yep. if they're not looking the right way. So trying to get them to like look in a could you just would you mind tilting your camera so you can look in one way? But then yeah, you, it's got to be fun as well because people are giving you their their time and you've got to make it entertaining. But damn it, it's. Just, you know, or, or they go, oh, I haven't got a mic, but I have got like a phone. I can just do it off a phone. And they don't understand <laughs> why you'd be like, so I'm putting four hours into this and you want to have like a full on tinny radio sound. Please don't do this to me. With like any number of like uh, external factors making noise in theory, right? Whoever knows what'll happen. I, I feel though we've been very lucky with all our guests. We've never had major audio no. issues with anybody. No, and if not, we've had your backup too, right? So, yeah, we have, and and I, I with with you know, I have a few plugins that help remove certain room tones and things, and and they work well. Like that was my biggest concern when I moved down here, and as Brian, I kept being concerned about how's the room tone? Is everything yeah. okay? I even had my my mother's a seamstress, and I had her make these uh, like fabric panels that I have on the walls to make sure that it'd be okay. <laughs> and uh, I was worried about the fridge because behind me there's a, a storage room and there's a fridge. And every once in a while, go on. But Brian has said he has not heard anything, so it's nope. been great. No. Nope. So uh, when we first moved to this house, while the shed was being built, I got moved into a utility room, which was the toilet, uh, full of ceramics, and I just tried to fire Ooh. in. And I didn't at this time. I didn't really understand. I was very lucky in the old house. I was doing it in a spare bedroom, and the acoustics were great because there was lots of soft stuff just to absorb it. I went, no, no problem. I'll do it in this utility room. Went to start, and I'm like, I'm heartbroken. Because the audio is just so awful, it's unusable, and I end up like going and grabbing from the loft, from the bedroom, every sheet, and just hanging sheets off of every surface, and it's amazing. The effect that has, it, you go, oh my goodness, it actually works, you know, putting a cushion oh, yeah. behind the mic. So the amount of times I'm like, 
can you just grab three cushions and just put them around your computer, put them around your mic, and it just makes a massive difference. A friend of ours, TJ, who we've had on a couple of episodes, he uh, like has built a literal closet where he just sits to do his work. Yeah, and so I'm like, I'm very amazed that he's managed to like uh, retrofit his like very tiny closet into like a space that works for him. Yeah. So we we um, we had one final thing about tech we wanted to talk sure. about. Sure. We have gone into paranormal. Sorry. We haven't we haven't discussed. It. It's so funny. We've we've been all over. I love it because I this is my favorite type of show where we kind of mix everything together. It's kind of fun when we do that when we have guests, right? Because we're a lot less regimented when we when we have a guest on. As as strange as that may seem, because usually you want a, a guest to feel comfortable, but it seems like Spanners came in and it fit like a glove. So it was great. <laughs> Favorite F1 tech, right? You're an F1 podcast yeah, yeah. Uh, host. Uh, Brian is not big into F1, but, and I, uh, as funny as it seems, I came back into it like a lot of people because of Drive to Survive. I had lapsed in 2005 when I got fed up of Schumacher and Ferrari. And as, a, as an Italian, you would think, oh, he loves Ferrari. I could not stand Ferrari. I, they were just, I felt they cheated. I felt they were annoying. They always won. I felt bad for Barrichello. Yeah. And I just got fed up. They're the Death and I just Star, stopped. Angela. They're the, they're yeah. the Death Star. They're the baddies yeah. of F1. As I was growing up, they're the baddies of F1. And Schumacher w- was was like, you know, he was Darth Vader. And he ruined F1 yeah. for me as well. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is terrible. And now when Lewis Hamilton is like making it miserable for anyone who doesn't like Lewis Hamilton or Ferrari fans in general, I suppose, uh, I'm like, yeah, good. Yeah, we're owed this. <laughs> I sat through Schumacher and then Vettel. Two Germans I watched destroy us whilst they were knocking us out of every football tournament as well. You will sit there and you will watch Lewis Hamilton win for year after year. And now Vettel's the nicest man yeah. in the oh, it seems. So, Sebastian Vettel, he is the bad guy in like the first movie of a franchise. And then in the second movie, they like the actor, <laughs> but the arc of him being the bad guy is done. So what they do is they have him be a good guy and team up. Like he's Loki, basically. So now he's the good yes. guy. And so Vettel's like on his redemption arc because they didn't want to get rid of him. He's not the baddie anymore. Now he's everybody's Formula One dad. Like he goes around tutting turning lights off he pulls his socks all the way up to his knees that's that's metal <laughs> and, and he's you know he stops if somebody has a crash he stops to check on yeah. them. And I, I that was uh, i was watching with my with my son my son is starting to kind of enjoy f1 how old and he, he loves he loves lando norris he's seven years old yeah. he likes lando norris yeah. because he's in the orange car but what's funny enough is that a friend of ours years and years ago said you know nolan by the name of my son he said he looks like vettel and he kind of does. He has the, the the same bushy hair on the top, and it sort of looks like him. And, a, and, a, and so my son now says, "Who's that? Is he the one who looks like me?" Oh, I said he was in a red car. I'm like now he's in a green car. Now he's a goodie. So he's, he's, he's a goodie now. Yeah. So, he's, yeah, so, so I just thought that was a funny little thing. But yes, he, he Brian he stopped to make sure that one of the younger drivers was okay. Yeah, he's nice. I um, I I was able an adult enough to to piece that together, Angela. Thank you. Okay, great. Because he explained it to you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so you take about the tech side of, of F1. Yeah. We do. There's so much tech. It is basically just tech. It's an engineering really. sport. And and this is the I worry sometimes with the guys who've come to F1 fandom having watched Drive to Survive, excellent series on Netflix, brought so many US fans um and North American fans in. Sorry for keep interchanging you with America, but you know, you're just on that continent over there, far away over yeah. the sea. But Drive to Survive makes it all seem like it's action packed. Thing is, but it's not. It's much more like cricket or baseball. You know, you've got to wait, you, uh, you endure hours of nothing, sometimes full races of nothing, sometimes just rain, full, just watching yeah, people sitting in the rain, full seasons of nothing, sometimes. And then the reward comes, and it is beautiful. Those, those 
those bits of action and drama are beautiful because they're not everyday, because they develop and there's an arc to them. Uh, and also what some of the Drive to Survive people might take a while to pick up on when they come into the sport is that it is an engineering competition. So it's like, well, why does Lewis Hamilton have the best car? That's ridiculous. He only wins because he's got the best car or Verstappen will only win because he's got the best car. But it really is also an engineering competition as well. And for a driver, it's not really, you're not really against 20 drivers in a race. Of course you are, but it's a career game. So for the drivers, it's the career. Where can I position myself? Oh, I do a good job at Williams at the back of the grid. I do a good job in a midfield team. I'm the number two driver. I'm going to make myself the number one driver. So they design the car to me and then Ferrari will give me a seat and then I can disappoint the Tifosi for a decade. Yeah, the sort of Alonso Vettel route. So from that point of view, that's what I say new fans want to get their head around is there is also the drama within the teams and the development curve. And on Missed Apex, we explore the tech side of it quite a bit. You know, we have one of the best tech journalists in the world in F1 who comes and speaks to us. So the engineering side is is very interesting, but a lot of it is design engineering. So from a tech startup point of view, I presume you're a coder or something, Brian, you know, you can appreciate that side. For me, I've always been on the supportability side of engineering. So I'm the guy that is there when something goes wrong. So I started off in repair and maintenance. And then when I went into the project side of the engineers, I'd be working with the designers, very clever guys. You know, I'm uneducated. I got kicked out of school at 17. No way. Invited to leave school at 17. <laughs> and I took them up on it, uh, joined the military as a military engineer, and then worked my way back into the defense industry where these really clever guys with no experience of, of how these things are operated in the field would make these brilliant designs. And this is what it does. It launches off the thing. This arm comes out, it twizzles around, it does a dance, and then we win. And then my job was to go, ah, okay, but what happens if it doesn't twizzle around? And they're like, I designed it to twizzle around. It will twizzle around. I'm like, okay, it will twizzle around in the demo. Will it twizzle around in the desert? Will it twizzle around when it's on the Falklands, when it's 15 years old, when it's been mishandled by ham-fisted artillerymen for 20 years. What are you going to do then? You know, right down to the fact that these kids would put in a, a battery, you know, they have like a BIOS and we go, well, how long does that BIOS battery last? And they're like, well, I don't know. I'm pulling a number out of my butt now. 15, I don't know, 10 years, 15 years, can it last? And you go, all right, what's going to be out in that environment for 30 years? And then they get very angry at me because every time I do that, it costs them money and a redesign and all that kind of stuff. So when it comes to, to Formula One, this kind of supportability engineering is actually vital. If you look at a pit stop, it, that is supportability engineering. We have a mission critical item, which is a tyre that has, through some kind of artificial, you know, they've decided the tyre shouldn't last this amount of time. But you now have a fail condition, which is your tyre doesn't have enough grip. How do you solve that in the most efficient way possible? And, and they have streamlined that. Right, let's throw more manpower at it. Let's have 20 guys uh, around the car. Let's have a jack that operates it. Let's not lose time even leaving because there's one guy whose job it is to press the green button as soon as everything's done and for them to go. And then when you get damage, it's really interesting to see how they repair it because changing a front wing has won and lost teams races before. And you can see, for example, I don't know if you watch any Formula E, but I saw a car, a car got wrecked from, uh, from behind and the wing was off. And it was, the, it was in season one. And you suddenly realize that in the design of these cars, they'd not really thought about replacing the rear wing. And so there's a guy there having to suddenly like find out where are the bolts. And one of the bolts was mounted under the, the bottom 
well, a wing plate or something. So this guy is literally, you saw him, he yanked it out and the bolt and the housing came flying out and he was able to get the bolt that he wanted, but then it's kind of like wrecked and you go, ah, now someone like me is going to go there and go, right, is it cheaper to, is it cheaper to, when that happens, be out of the race or to spend the money designing something to make it repairable? What gives us the most lap time? What is cost efficient? And, and that is a really kind of interesting, I'm boring myself now, aren't I? So that's supportability <laughs> engineering anyway. And I do love well, here, that let aspect me, let me, of it. Let me pivot to something a little more sexy then in that okay. case. Uh, incidentally, I think I've mentioned this to Angelo, but I had a friend who worked in security here, and so he used to do Formula One. And one of the big things that they talk about is uh, both corporate espionage and corporate sabotage. So he was in charge of, I don't remember which team, but he was in charge of 24-7 standing around guarding um, a certain team's tires coming Whoa. up to the event. Oh, this would have been... And so I'm just kind of curious because like yeah. to me, it seems like if this really is a large field <laughs> of engineering and like having the, the best design wins, then it seems like there's a cutthroat race to ensure... Um, uh, one upsmanship on that end continually. Yeah, so you're going back a little bit now because now all the teams have the same tyres. So you're going back to the tyre war where Angelo was getting fed up of the Schumacher dominance between Bridgestone and uh, Michelin? Bridgestone? Michelin, yeah, yeah, was yeah it was Bridgestone and Michelin. And yeah. so the Bridgestones were working closely with Ferrari. So Schumacher basically just had like a tyre developer making his tyres for him. So they were guarding those secrets. So you go, yeah, how much is that secret worth? Is it worth putting a, a detail on it? But you always see the teams, uh, they, they, when there's a repair, they'll like do a wall, like a wall of death exactly, around yeah. it, go, no, no one see this. And then you see them all sigh when it gets like lifted up on a crane and suddenly the TV cameras are all zooming into these really yes. secret uh, parts of it. But I feel like as as time has progressed, though, it's like become a lot easier to sort of see a lot of these intricacies because, like, well, cameras have gotten better, um, and then there's like a certain openness and willingness to to sort of um, share some parts of of these designs, but not all of them, obviously. Yeah. Well, there was an interesting camera last week with Fernando Alonso having a camera in his helmet, which was super cool. It was very cool, but that gave the teams a headache as well because it was giving away. Yeah. A lot of the information, I guess. Um, the, so there was a bandwidth issue too. I think I learned this from the Miss Apex uh, podcast. Oh, I wasn't was like listening a, to that a, bit. That's so embarrassing. It, that from my well, part. No, was, <laughs> didn't they? Didn't they mention something? Some you had somebody on talking about the tech and yeah. how that can cause an issue, right? Like with with the cameras coming back with information, or maybe I made that up in my head. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm sure bandwidth is an issue when you're trying to do any kind of live feed, but the difference is this is not mounted on a car. This was mounted on the driver's helmet. So giving you like a real kind of virtual reality view of what's going on. But what it also did was it put me off the prospect of ever wanting to be an F1 driver. Because when (laughs) when it's on the car, it's all like stabilized and everything, and it looks quite serene. It looks delicate. On the hel- helmet cam, it just looked violent. It, he's being shaken to death. He can't see what's coming. It all looks so quick. I feel like the head cam has been done uh, more so in like North American speed racing, specifically things like NASCAR, because I've I've seen these compilations. Friends have sent them to me. It's it's sort of interesting to get that firsthand view of like never wanting to inhabit that as a, in person. Like I just I I could never do that. I could never ever want to be in a car going that fast, trying to figure things out continually. Uh, you're not how terrible. Must it feel going over a curb? Yeah. Well, mm. this is it. It's hard enough in it. Mm. It's hard enough in a car. Okay, so here's um here's a thing. I think I think all people who watch Formula One should do some kind of racing. So I run karting events for our listeners, and I also put on sim racing events as well. Because little things like this, although we don't get anywhere near the extremes of a Formula One car, uh, we race at Buckmore Park, big curb. So there's a big exit curb, and 
it's out, out of a hairpin. You really want to get that exit curb as much as you can because it goes straight into an opposite turn. So you want to take that curb, but it rattles your helmet off your head. You know, I didn't have my own helmet, so, I, you know, I'm doing a rental helmet. And every time you go over that, the whole thing goes gadoo-gadoo. And you've got like two seconds where you can't see because the helmet's like moved all over the place. I borrowed somebody's, their helmet, like their own helmet, and it fit so beautifully. Um, apparently, there's a big problem with uh, East Asians have got rounder heads, like a higher circumference around the cheeks. So rental car helmets, like they'll fit on the cheeks, but then they're loose everywhere else. But this one fit me like a glove. And suddenly I could, I could just soar over that curb. It still hurt my back, but at least I could see. And you get that kind of, oh my God, the curb in a, in a, a car race. Wow, that's a massive factor. I would not have thought of that had I not gone and done this bit of racing. But like you, every American football fan has thrown a ball. Every soccer fan has kicked a ball around in a park. But a lot of Formula One fans, they or motorsport fans, never just go, oh, I'm just going to play a video game or go-karting or just turn a wheel and experience what it's like to race. Yeah, this this weekend, uh, just to prepare for Zandvoort, I I drove it on uh, yep. F1 yeah, 2020. Yeah, I liked it as well. Just yeah. to see the banking, right? Because, Brian, this week's race had, like, they don't have banking very often in, in Formula One. Yeah. And it, it was it's just strange to see. There was a great uh, picture on a tweet of Vettel walking the course, and he was just sideways. It was it was pretty <laughs> funny. So when I don't want to risk my my rating on the sim we do, which is iRacing, racing on the road racing, they also do a lot of the North American stuff as well. So like stock car racing and like uh, IndyCar racing as well. And in virtual reality, you feel the banking. I don't know how your brain works, but you drive onto the banking and you absolutely feel like you're being tipped like twenty degrees oh, wow. or whatever, and okay. you go. There's no reason for me to feel like I'm tipped over. But it is a really interesting form of racing because it's so easy for Europeans to go, you're literally just going around in a circle. But actually, the the tactics of being in a, a chain, trying to keep it out the wall, trying to actually make progress, it is a fascinating sport. I, I keep saying I need to watch more IndyCar, NASCAR, and then I just never do. I've watched a little bit more NASCAR than F1 and I've gone to a NASCAR race, which is just something else. Is like it? you like because like the the there's a a big track like two hours from here. So a friend of mine a couple of years ago was like, let's go down for the weekend, let's go have fun. And just you don't realize the force that a car has going until you're standing by um the track and you feel it in your bones. And yeah. it's it's like it's awesome. And I mean that in a bubble like a biblical sense. Did you cook hot dogs out of the boot of your car? That- <laughs> no, but I did get a haircut. Nice. <laughs> yeah, they were uh, there was some kind of like charity thing where it was like if you donated ten bucks, you got a free haircut. So I came home and my wife was like, You got a haircut at a NASCAR uh, event. She's like, This is very, very redneck of you. And also like I'll be honest with you, the like the Venn diagram of like who I am as a person and like a typical NASCAR person was like they're not they're not very close so like the people watching was divine but nascar i feel is more of like an endurance race because like in theory like most of the people driving have very similar um equipment right so it's just a question of like uh of maneuvering almost more whereas i feel like you can kind of get a little bit more specialized um in in other kinds of racing like f1 whereas like now it's just it's just a you have to do a circle 500 times good luck yeah i i remember going to um f1 this is like mid 90s i think well yeah and and i mean schumacher was still in a benetton and just with the cars would drive near you you would your whole body would vibrate and i had never been and it, it was a shock to me because i i was so used to hearing them from my house but my house was not is not that close well my parents house is is not that close to the track 
but depending on the wind, you would hear them pretty loud. Oh no! Uh, especially back then too. Now I want to go to a motorsport track, and I've I've got the lurgy, I've got the plague, and I can't go anywhere for another eight <laughs> days. Well, you can also if you come to Montreal, you can actually drive the the F one circuit here, right? Just with yes. your regular car. Yeah. So the speed limits. Though. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, in theory, sure. If no one's watching, <laughs> another story, but. Well, look, um, since Spanner is not feeling well, let's uh, let's move on to uh, talking about some alternative medicine in the paranormal segment. Oh, sounds good. <laughs> Double Density presents the sounds of your youth. Double Density. So I see that you've left a bunch of notes that I am not going to try to make sense of right now because I feel like they're highly specific and I could just uh, Mad Libs it, but I'm going to let you uh, take the floor for uh, what I think will be very interesting stories. Uh, okay. So there's a, there's a few things here. I, I really do get angry uh, at alternative medicines, not not so much the people that take them because there is a very slick shtick for selling them. You know, it's like the old snake oil salesman roll up here have some of old spanish tonic it'll cure whatever ails you you got covid rub it on your knee and then <laughs> and then uh, then sprinkle it on your balls and you'll be cured in 10 days so right, there is a very convincing stick and people do get absorbed in it like we were talking about being indoctrinated on youtube and other uh, ways and when you're desperate when there's something like incurable like cancer or you're fighting I, I use the term you shouldn't say fighting for cancer you don't you know you don't fail if you die of cancer um sorry it's a very common term but my dad was quote unquote fighting cancer and his his friends are like sat him down and they're saying don't do chemotherapy you know the the thing that is keeping you alive and allowed you to see your son's wedding instead have have a honey remedy and he's trying to literally his friend is trying to get him to stop life-saving, potentially, or life-increasing chemo to have this honey remedy. And I could see my dad's face. You know, he was a, he was a helicopter pilot. He's a smart guy, but he's not a sceptical guy. So he was sitting there going, really? And he's having his kind of head turned. And I had to get really angry at these guys. And, like, I was not welcome. They owned the pub we were in. I was not welcome back because I had to all but just drag him away. It's <laughs> going, no, we had to sit down and have this chat. Because as far as he's concerned, if these friends of his that he respects their opinion, and they're talking about honey remedies, there's got to be something in it. But they wouldn't just lie to him, and they're not. Because his friends have not cured their cancer by using a honey remedy. They've just taken a thing that they've read and, and are regurgitating that. And so people will say, well, does it matter if someone takes Akinacea instead of paracetamol? Well, no, but if you get into the magical thinking of homeopathy works, acupuncture works, all those kind of things, when it's something serious and your actual friend, you're so in that mentality that you're essentially willing to accidentally kill your friend to fit into that doctrine and mindset. So, I mean, I was angry about alternative medicine before that, but that probably tipped me over the edge. I've never been a fan of the whole alternative medicine thing, though the one that, that gets me the most is homeopathy because it frustrates me because people go towards homeopathy thinking, oh, I'm going to, I don't want to go to big pharma. They're just there to make money when they don't realize that same homeopathy is the same <laughs> yeah. thing. And 
they read natural news because they 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 tell you the truth. No, they're trying to make money too. They're selling you their products that they own through some sort of shell corporation, and they're not selling you anything. They're selling you water and sugar tablets because, if you know the 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 gist of homeopathy is something is reduced down to what. Uh, a one billionth of what it no, actually No, no, way was. more than that. Way, way more than that. So one, it's one active molecule, right? And then the amount of water you would need for a homeopathic solution is like more molecules than there are in like the universe. You know, it's that small. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's, yeah, so it, it, it's something ridiculous like that where you're just basically drinking water and eating a sugar pill and... People think this this is what helps them when in fact it's, you know, I uh, think I saw a Kyrgyzat video about this once where they said, no, it, it's not uh, the actual medicine. It's just your body heals over time. So th the argument here, and by the way, I took part in a, a mass homeopathic suicide. It's not very delicate language, but... Are you okay? Were you okay? Well, it was arsenic. You see, we all got... Because it says don't overdose. It says if you accidentally overdose, go and see your doctor. But well, This was a James Randi thing, right? I think he had he had started this. So this was this ago. was the Merseyside skeptics and okay. at, uh, I think QEDCon in Manchester 2014. And so we each got a, a, a whole bottle of arsenic homeopathy and all just downed it together. And there was proper doctors there observing... You know, they were asking, you know, after like 10 minutes, do you feel okay? Do you feel okay? It's like, yes, we're okay because there's literally nothing in it. Um, but it's amazing. Yeah, they, they take a, uh, they put the, the thing in it, the whatever the active ingredient, arsenic, tiny bit in a solution, mix that up, then take a tiny bit of that solution, put it in more water and keep doing it over and over again till chemically there can't possibly be a, a molecule in that solution. But then it's so, they say like, oh, but the water remembers what it is. And then you go... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but then you go, it gets worse. They go, oh, arsenic is bad. So surely arsenic is bad. And they're like, ah, no. Opposite. If it, if whatever is making you ill, that thing in homeopathy will remember and then reverse. So if like you've got a peanut allergy, I guess they would put a peanut in a thing, dilute it, dilute it, dilute it, dilute it. The water remembers it. And then it does the opposite. Like it's, of course, it's the most insane magical thinking to, to think that that could possibly do anything. And then the concept that water has to have a memory, you have to ignore so much other stuff. Like, why doesn't it remember poop, as Tim mentioned yeah. poop so yeah. well in one well, of Well, that his... was my question. <laughs> yeah. So for people to to believe that is just, it, it's, a, it's a, I don't blame the people because like I said, the pattern is so good around it. And there is, there's an answer, there's a ready-made like throwaway answer to everything. If you speak to a believer, those you know those answers are, are lined up and, and ready and and then they just change the subject or they move on and then you'll be called a corporate a shill of the pharmaceutical companies you know they'll like uh, they'll attack you instead of the argument and you can never the logic doesn't come into it because they've they've come to the conclusion and then they justify that conclusion instead of finding out about a thing and a conclusion coming up naturally i just, I just find it so frustrating it's sold to people People buy the patter, they waste their money on it. Let's say not even my dad's scenario, not even where uh, actually potentially it could lead to death, not having the treatment for your cancer. You're still robbing people. You're telling them it does a thing that it can't possibly do and just taking their money. And I, I just, I don't understand why it's not a crime to, to do that. Does, am I being too harsh? I don't understand no, why homeopathy no, isn't it, it frustrates an illegal... me when I see it in the pharmacy. Yeah, and I, I, I got angry once, and I, I took the homeopathy 
out of the medicine section and I put it in a different section because it's not medicine. <laughs> Toy section? Oh, but yeah, <laughs> something like that. But yeah, I, just, I, I won't apologize for that and I won't be balanced about it. It's a scam. And, and the people who make it, they know. They know it's a scam. They, oh, hang on. Um, they allegedly know it's a scam. <laughs> but they can't, they can't not know that it doesn't do anything because they're scientific people and the science is there. To me, I would be very, very surprised if the people who are manufacturing it and making it genuinely believe like our true believers that it genuinely has those effects it's funny you say that because like obviously like and i'm not going to say alleged it is a grift right um and so like for example you take something like doTERRA in the states which is a multi-level marketing they're massive right they sell essential oils essentially homeopathy right and so there's a, a a sort of like um you kind of want to believe in that because the way that it operates, it's a pyramid scheme. So you need to continue selling the dream in order to continue making yeah. your downline, your cash and everything. So while people may not believe it, um, uh, altruistically, it still fills, um, you know, their bank accounts. Right. So it's, it's, it's almost like, uh, uh, not willful ignorance necessarily because they're understanding of it, but it's, it's kind of like turning a blind eye because of the fact that like, it does help pay the bills. Yeah, I bet they'll justify it by, Oh, well, we're giving people peace of mind or, <laughs> We're course, selling them yeah. what they want to be sold. But yeah, but they want to be sold that and they get that peace of mind because they're, because they're, being, because they're being scammed. And then there's the, obviously, you fight against the believers. They say, well, I was sick. I took it and I got better. I know what I saw. I know what I believe. I know mm. what happened to me. And it's just, you know, well, you, you, you start to feel ill. You go, oh, I can shake this off. Oh, actually, I am feeling pretty bad. Uh, I'll take the homeopathy. And then as it kind of naturally runs its course and you feel better, you go, well, I took the homeopathy and I, and I got better, didn't I? Or you try like eight things for a long-term condition and then like the eighth thing you take as it clears up, you go, well, that was it. Rubbing peanut butter up my nostril, that was the thing. <laughs> and then you start telling everybody, oh, no, definitely rubbing peanut butter on your nostril is great for a knee ache. And it's, oh, so, Angela, should, should we tell Richard why we're actually here? We want you to come on board for a lifetime opportunity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we do. I reach out to all my favorite podcast hosts and invite them to uh, join our essential oils uh, pyramid. Brian, Brian's <laughs> peanut butter nostril oil. Come one, come all. <laughs> uh, but it's it's fascinating because like we talk a lot about um, the ways in which like grifters operate. So essential oils, it's kind of funny because like it's the same thing with the, the concept of belief, because we often talk about like a lot of people who um, do the touring circuit for UFOs, right? Like they get paid uh, uh, speakers appearance. They make books, they make movies, documentaries obsessively. We call them documentaries, but Angela and I have sort of called them like personal video essays because they're not, they're not, not documenting much. No. Um, but it's funny because like, once again, like it's the idea of belief. Like you couple the idea of belief with, with money and then suddenly you create an industry. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm, I'm part of me is just jealous that I've not thought of the thing. <laughs> oh, we, we have, Angela and I have, I've talked about how if we wanted to like grift, we would grift. I created an alternative uh, treatment a while back and I, I got some traction on Yahoo Answers. Because that was, <laughs> of course, <laughs> Yahoo Answers was really, really like a hotbed of alternative medicine. So we invented um, quantum elbowology, and it was basically oh. like reflexology for the elbow, but also obviously quantum because that was the new kind of thing that everyone was talking about at the time. Oh, yes. And you know, we got we got a few. Like we would like when people were like, "How should I cure X?" We would like recommend quantum elbowology and why, just to see what kind of feedback it would get and whether anyone you know, would debunk it or back it up when it got, you know, it got some interaction. Oh uh, yeah. And well, I just I thought of something going back to podcasting and stuff and, and your, the ads you run on your show, do you have a say in what gets run? Like what would happen if 
you know, here, so, so it's funny because I'm listening to your show. Yeah. And, you know, the host is from England. Yeah. And all of a sudden I get a, a French Canadian yeah. commercial. What would you know if they were trying to market some, some bunk to me? Like, do the, does the company tell you? Uh, so uh, I, yeah, so there's a company that, that runs it and it's adaptive ads. It's really good. So if you are in America, you'll get a different advert than you'll get in Bedford. And if you download it next year, you'll get a more current ad, even though it was an old episode. So that's great. And you can opt out with this company of, uh, of certain stuff. So I'm like, oh, okay. okay. So I, I love a gamble. I love, I love a punt. Uh, I do micro payments, you know, like if I'm watching anything, I want I want a pound. I want to stick a quid or a, a buck on the thing. Because like, oh, I want to predict who wins, put my money where my mouth is, you know, 50p, a buck. And then, so I love gambling, but I understand that there's ill effect. I don't necessarily want to be promoting gambling companies. So I opt out of that. I opt out okay. of like Pornhub or anything like this. And uh, yes, when people, if people go, uh, oh, there was an advert for quantum male biology in Canada. <laughs> I do rely on a certain extent for, for listeners. Now I've got listeners nearly everywhere that will just go, oh, actually that, that ad wasn't very good. And then you go back to the company and they go, oh yeah, no, good point. All right. Or we'll take you off that campaign. So that's how that works. Yeah. I've been getting mostly, uh, I think pickup truck ads. Yeah. In, in Ireland, they were getting loads of like army recruitment and my listeners were like, dude, I'm not joining the army. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, dynamic ad insertion is yeah. a whole new ballgame. It's so fascinating yeah. to me to see what gets served and what doesn't get served to, to certain segments of the population. Yeah, I don't know. Essential oils, such a crock. I'm very tired of them. Yet they, uh, in very they uncertain times. They smell nice, like, though. I feel like the pandemic has unfortunately like uh, unlocked a whole new level of issues. Well, I won't lie. We have, my, my wife buys them sometimes, but not to like cure anything. She buy like, they just, they smell nice sometimes. So and that's all there is to it. When I met my wife, her best friend, was into kinesiology uh, and there's it was it was this thing of like you hold a thing in your hand and if your arm drops down you're allergic to it and if your arm drops up rises in the uh, air you're not or some it was such garbage and uh my wife would also believe in like reiki and spiritual healing because <laughs> just by default you know her friends were into it and like reiki you are literally summoning spirits to come and heal like your elbow I'm doing Reiki to myself right Is that now. like with the aura or whatever? Yes. But I'm, uh, yeah. So I'm speaking to her friend. I'm like, you think you can summon spirits? Like you can literally summon spirits and you're using it to cure like minor questionable health conditions, like worried well. Do you know what I mean? It's not curing <laughs> cancer. It's curing like, oh, I've had a bit of a gammy, you know, leg. Yeah, because <laughs> you eat steak constantly and red wine. You've got, you've got gout. Sort your life out. But, you know... If you're summoning spirits, do something more useful for that. Like, oh, spirits, please appear to everyone so that everybody definitely knows spirits are correct. And I don't know, can we put nutrients in rice and make sure there's no famine while you're at it? Uh, okay, cure my gout first, then world <laughs> hunger. But I just, uh, and then she believed in like psychic healing and all that. I have two words for the both of you. I don't know if you know this exists, but horse reiki is a thing. Oh yeah, um, oh, don't. I've seen I've seen a bunch of tweets make the rounds the last couple of months about uh, the the benefits of horse reiki. And the argument is, well, horses can't have the placebo effect, so it's definitely real. <laughs> but yeah, and they obviously can consent. Yeah, that's the whole thing too. Obviously, these horses are sentient beings with a uh, you know an inner monologue who can consent to these things. Yeah, and and the people who are the ones that are conveying. You know, they, they just go, oh, the horse says he's better now. Psh. All right. 
And I would bet you there are at least a few F1 drivers that believe in some sort of garbage to have their uh, their own little uh, things. Not seen it in F1, but in the Olympics, you've got all the kinesiology tape oh, yes. as well. Yes. And you get people where you go, well, look at him, that god in the swimming pool, and look at you, you Malteser-shaped amateur. Uh, who <laughs> am I going to believe, that guy or you? And you go, that is a compelling argument. But, you know, there's no, there's no way kinesio tapes, you know, do stuff. Yeah. Well, I, I think uh, I think we've had a good discussion here about. You don't want to talk about of... your favorite thing, Angelo? Your favorite homeopathic solution? What What is that? The, the, the uh, dewormer? Uh, well, uh, no. Uh, though I had to explain what ivermectin was to you last week, which is kind of interesting. Uh, no, I want to talk about uh, uh, perineum sunning. Remember that? Remember that fadness? That <laughs> oh, wellness God. fadness? <laughs> I know that. this. Yeah, I know this. I might do some oh, of that after the show. Yeah, yeah, Angelo, go ahead. I think that like that. Yeah, actually, Richard, you know what? It may help for COVID. Let's start this rumor here. Yeah. That's yeah, okay. yeah. Mm-hmm. The sun, sunbathing your butthole will help with the COVID. Uh, and my okay. neighbor's Something. in for a treat. <laughs> oh boy, just right in front of the shed. But no, seriously though, I, I, I know, I know. Spanners is not feeling the, its best, and he's been, uh, he's been amazing. He's been uh, a trooper, yeah, at, yeah. What a trooper! It's been great fun. You've been, it's been great fun. You've been pointing out how you're sweating and stuff, but oh, it's, yeah. it's been, I've got it, so much sweat going on. I mean, in the shed, oh, the I mean, is, I have some going on, and I'm just normal here. But making so. your yeah. shed that soundproof means that with the electronics, uh, ex- yeah. it gets super hot. No so the, I can't have the aircon running whilst we're doing the show because it would sound yeah. like that. But. uh apart from that it's, it's not even that bad isn't it well in that case I'm putting it on and the second way we hang up off this call I'm putting it on and throwing my face into the grill of the air conditioning unit so Angela and I have only started doing video like video calls recently like we've, we used to do audio only you and he doesn't realize this but I used to do this in my boxers in the summer yeah because yeah. you couldn't I'm not, you couldn't I'm, have anything yeah, on I'm, no fans no nothing I'm not wearing any yeah. pants so yeah well. No Mr. Apex pants. Okay. Um, Richard, where, where can people find you on the internet before I forget? Let's just yes. go ahead. You can read off all of your social media. Don't forget your MySpace. Don't forget your ICQ. Um, let everyone know. Okay, don't stop listening to Double This What's It. This is they, Angelo and Brian. They don't care about you. They told me they <laughs> hate. Double This What's they It. Said, That's how you name. They said we hate all our <laughs> listeners. Uh, we want them to listen to an F1 show instead. So exactly. go, basically go and check out a Miss Apex podcast wherever you find your podcasts podcast things follow me on twitter please at spanners ready and richard ready on facebook and uh, you will see the stuff i do if you're super into gardening there'll be like links to my bbc radio cambridgeshire gardening show uh there will actually be probably a surprising number of people who will be interested in that yeah. uh with our user like our listener base i yeah. know i'm thinking of like five or six people actually right off the bat right now <laughs> who'd be interested in that so uh, yeah and what's funny was when we were setting this up uh spanner said oh you can you can get me at uh whatsapp and my reply was like how european yeah is that a european I, thing i do everything on whatsapp yeah. and google drive that's it but then it's funny because I then downloaded WhatsApp, but I couldn't figure out how to get you in there. So I said, let me just keep talking to him but on that's, Twitter. But that's and just you just email. being out of touch. Yes. Like I use WhatsApp yeah, for all kinds of things. I know, Brian. I'm very Like I'm my sister's messaging me right now. I could see this and I, I'm going to answer her afterwards. Do you mind if I don't give out my WhatsApp on the thing? No, <laughs> oh, you could. Oh, don't, yeah, yeah. But my DMs are open. My DMs are open. Come follow me at Spanners Ready. And listen to Miss Apex. If you like F1, you'll definitely like the podcast. Angela, where can people find us? This is your big test now. Oh, yeah. At uh, doubledensity.net. We have a website. Correct. And then the other socials, I always leave it up to you to say that. No, because no, I can't, no, no, no. You okay. can't do it this so time. So we have so double underscore density at... Uh, is that, that's our Twitter handle? That's Twitter, yes. Right? Yes. And then we have double density podcast. Is that the Instagram one? That's Instagram. And then you oh, can well, also uh, email us at doubledensitypodcast at gmail.com. And, and I'm, I'm Angelo Furin on Twitter. 
and I'm Brian Hasty, and this has been episode 174 of the Double Density Podcast. Stay tuned as we uh, continue onwards and upwards into the fall season. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Bye.